Hi, you're listening to Ingridopedia, a factual food fight podcast where over three rounds, my co-host and I, Emily Naismith, and I'm the Ben virtual part, uh, <laughs> will share three different facts about a certain ingredient you get to choose through the magic of social media, who was the most impressive and entertaining, and uh, tell us about it. Yeah, tonight we're talking about pasta. We are. It's a big one. Mm. It feels, you know, some some ingredients just feel kind of, uh, you know. Like I feel like we could do a whole season on pasta, like about 10 episodes just on different types of pasta and we could still find six facts for each one. It's true, which starts to make me feel a bit lazy for the facts that I have <laughs> found. Um, Emily, what is your favourite pasta, your favourite way to consume it? Um... Just to show off like the pasta episodes, my favourite pasta would be the one I had in Italy oh, God. Um, on the beach I in the Amalfi Coast. I walked <laughs> with, straight into that. I can't with, believe um, I did. Yeah, Vongole pasta. It was really good with clams in it. Thank you. <laughs> um, I am a massive fan of carbonara. That is really basic. Yeah, but like <laughs> made at home. Like a proper carbonara with like hardly any cream, like egg yeah. yolks, pancetta even, through mm-hmm. it, like really good cheese, heaps of cracked pepper, um, pangrattata, like the fried bread crumbs with um, with garlic through it. Like that is a like one of my favourite Sunday night dishes. It sounds pretty good, but it just reminds me of being a kid. Like my mum always used to cook like tortellini carbonara, I think. Yeah. Is that a bad, like you're saying that like it's a like it's a oh, bad Oh, I just got thing. sick of the taste, you know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fine. I will not be making you any carbonara. Well, uh, that was enough friendly banter. Let's get into the battle. So zucchini pasta is a good weeknight staple. You just cook some pasta, grate some zucchini in it, maybe some chili flakes. You know, my mum sometimes used to do it yeah. when I was at home. I thought you were going to say that, like zucchini pasta. Yeah. Pasta well, that's was... what I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, okay. So I found out recently that zucchini pasta, not what I thought my mum cooked, mm. actually means something else to most people. So zucchini cut into long spaghetti-like strands is zucchini pasta to some people. Mm. And I would say that that's probably just zucchini because and you're just putting the word pasta in there to make it sound like something because, people actually want to eat. Because you're putting it in a bowl and putting stuff on top of it, it doesn't make it pasta. No, it doesn't make it pasta. So I guess you see this mostly in health recipes. Like mm. mate, old mate Pete Evans has a recipe for it. Michelle Bridges has a recipe for it. Yeah. It's carbless, which um, translates to some people as meaning it's healthy. But I think to be truly healthy, you have to have some carbs in your life. You can't just go around eating zucchini and long strands and call that pasta. That's true, yeah. Um, but that's kind of my bias coming through. So I thought I'd give it a go. Um, so I Googled a recipe and the first one that came up was a recipe from a website called eatyourselfskinny.com. Um, no, no punctuation in that URL, so I don't know if it means eat yourself skinny <laughs> <laughs> or eat yourself skinny, but I'm assuming it's the latter. <laughs> yep. um, so I bought three huge zucchinis the other night in order to make half the recipe, which was enough for four people, mm-hmm. even though I was cooking for two. So I um, borrowed a spiralizer, which is one of those um, things that spiralizes things, <laughs> like turns things into long I spirals. Like, 
just I mean, it feels like some ingredientopedia backstory there. You don't have any kitchen implements. So You're you telling to, me you have a spiralizer. I don't have a spiralizer. That's the one thing I don't have. Yeah. But I, it does not surprise me that you don't have a spiralizer. <laughs> um, no. So I could you not MacGyver one up out of something out of a corkscrew? And I was not going to go to that much effort for zucchini pasta. <laughs> I knew that it wasn't worth it. So I borrowed one from my friend um, Anna Webster, who you may remember from the corn episode mm-hmm. where she told us about corn sex. Um, yeah, so I spiralized the zucchini, cooked in a pan for like two minutes with, and then stirred in some avocado, lemon, garlic, and basil. And, um, by the time that all cooked down, I put it into two bowls and it was actually like, you probably could just have one serving in one bowl and that was it. Mm. So anyway, I ate this half a bowl of zucchini pasta and it was actually really good. It's delicious but it did not satisfy my hunger in the slightest. Like I was hungry before I ate it and no change in hunger levels after I ate it. It was like basically I didn't consume anything. So you pretty much finished it and then went to La Pochetta and got <laughs> I didn't some go tortellini to carbonara. No, unfortunately I didn't get to go to La Pochetta. So I went to the cupboard and just had like a range of things like ice cream all from the freezer. Yeah, Milo toast it's just an array of things to make up for the whole in my life yeah milo on toast yeah some anchovies yeah (laughs) cool uh no the milo wasn't on toast but um so my conclusion is that yes lightly sauteed zucchini is delicious but let's not call it zucchini pasta because unlike a bowl of rigatoni or tortellini it will not satisfy your hunger at all harsh but fair Mm. okay let's get into the history of pasta. I just feel like this is something that if we don't talk about it, somebody will email us and say, why didn't you talk about this one particular pasta fact? I'm putting that in inverted air commas, which doesn't really help on a podcast. Um, Emily, where does where did pasta come from? Where was it discovered? How did it make itself, make its way to Italy? In America during the Civil War. <laughs> No, although <laughs> macaroni and cheese was a staple in America by the time of the Civil War and there are Civil War rep- recipes for macaroni and cheese. I didn't go with that as a fact. <laughs> yes, I did Google Civil War pasta, but that's not where it came from. The, I mean, the, the creation myth is that pasta was um, uh, discovered by Marco Polo in China and brought to Italy in the 13th century. That's like the story that's out there. I've always known that and I was actually talking to a friend the other night I was like I'm doing a thing about pasta and he goes do the thing about how the Marco Polo thing's not real I'm like wait what it's I feel so lied to and then I started having a look and it it's not so I, I guess the question is like where did the Marco Polo myth come from um, according to uh, Alicia Wood writing for um, the SBS website SBS food she says in 1929 the U.S. National Macaroni Manufacturers Association, which sounds like a pretty amazing association that I want to be part of, published a fanciful story that saw uh, a character named Spaghetti, a sailor on Marco Polo's ship, come across dried string-shaped dough in China and the folklore snowballed, even making it into the 1938 film The Adventures of Marco Polo, uh, where Marco Polo, um, who I think was played by Gary Cooper, uh, meets a, a, a Chinese... Um, guy who's got these noodles and he says from where I come from we call it spaghetti 
and then he took that to, you know, he, he took it in his travels. He, t- he took it back to Italy, and that's where pasta came from. Um, the story kind of might have caught on because actually the origins of pasta are a lot tougher to trace. And this is where I'm going to delve into like some really nerdy facts. There's a, a pretty hefty article um, on the Atlantic. Um, all of, it's probably about I reckon it's about five thousand words just on the origins of pasta. Uh, in this piece they write Italians insist as a point of national pride that they invented pasta in their part of the world despite considerable evidence that they did not so Marco Polo that that myth is very unpopular in Italy I I should add Um, what they cite as proof of of having invented it are reliefs in an Etruscan tomb dating back from the 4th century BC which depict a knife a board with a raised edge that resembles a modern pasta board a flour sack and a pin that they say was made of iron and used for shaping tubular pasta. But that's also disputed. That um, Historians look at it and say that could be anything. That pin could be used for anything. The flour, like they could be making bread. Like there's no mm. pasta anywhere. There's no mention of it. Um, so it's more likely that um, Mediterranean trade routes introduced North African etria, which is an Arabic word for long, thrins, uh, long thin strands of dried dough that were cooked by boiling to Sicily in the mid-12th century. Uh, and it was also documented in Italy before 1295 when Marco Polo returned from China. Uh, and in 1279, a basket of dried pasta was recorded in the estate inventory of a Genoese soldier, indicating that it was considered considered valuable. So like, pasta was like quite a valuable thing, and it was around definitely before Marco Polo got back from China. So Marco Polo had nothing to do with the discovery of pasta. And what I'm really worried about, and I'm not going to Google it, I don't want to know that Marco Polo also didn't invent the pool game Marco Polo. So I'm just going to leave it there. That's all the digging I'm going to do. So as a kid, the highlight of your culinary calendar is your sporting team's breakup. So for me, it was my basketball breakups. So at the end of the season, your team goes out and has dinner together. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, wow. Don't, is that not a thing for you? No. Do You're you either too old or didn't play sport. <laughs> well, probably I didn't play basketball. No, I played footy, but now I think it's probably likely that I just wasn't invited to the end of <laughs> oh. season. I wasn't very no, good. I, I got mean. no um, no votes in the What's On Your Football Club under 13s, the one season I, I played. We had a pie night. I Not was many invited to that. Votes. It's okay. Everyone got votes except me. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, go on. Your story sounds a lot. I'm just going to sit here yeah, and think so about my childhood. Um, well, I played in the Nardawan in Kangas from, you know, for a few years. And so I had a few restaurant celebrations in the Burwood Forest Hill area to, yeah, take part in. So basically our choice of restaurants and it was left up to the team to decide was Pizza Hut, Hungry Jack's, Macca's, Smorkies or Faster Pasta. Uh-huh. Why do I feel like you're not going to have gone to Smorgies, which for those uh, of you... Of course I've been to Smorgies. No, but like, why would you not... You're going to say that you went to Faster Pasta. I know how this plays out. Stop interrupting me. Just let me fucking do my (laughs) fact. Jesus. That is completely the wrong direction. Just pipe down and (laughs) shut up. Okay. So they all made choices. And there was always one person in the team that wasn't me okay. voting for Faster Pasta. God, I was going to fire you from the podcast. Jesus, do you even know me like <laughs> one bit? 
that so the person that voted faster faster obviously never got enough votes to take the team to faster faster so we never went to faster faster and i was glad of this because i loved all the other restaurants and i thought faster faster looked shit mm. because when i walked past it looked crap and the logo was disgusting and it just made me it's really unappealing. And it's called Faster. I know. You want to you yeah. hang around. You want to have a night in. Well, it's not even that. It's just like, just put an ER on the end. Like, don't turn it into an A. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then secondly, why would you go out for pasta? Like, I like pasta. I had it for dinner some nights a week. But I really, like, pasta does not compare to pizza, burgers, unlimited donuts. and Which is what you get at, at <laughs> yeah, Smoggies. Yeah. yeah, I know. I do know. So, um, and also pasta is really easy to make and it's cheap to make, which is why for my round two fact, I'm launching my own investigation into faster pasta. I want to find out who went there, why they went there and whether it was good or not. So put the call out to my network and here is what I learned. Faster pasta is still around and they've refreshed their image. The only restaurant they have in Victoria is Mildura, which is six hours away. So I didn't go. Obviously, the ones I was familiar with as a kid, like the one at Ringwood, now closed. But some people do say that there's one in Bayswater, apparently. One, maybe one in Hopper's Crossing, but they both looked quite shut to me when I Google Street Viewed them. But maybe they're still open. Just the your the, the depth, the, uh, I know. the 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 length, online journalism. The length of your journalism knows no bounds. Um, so I needed to dive back into history. A few of my friends remember it. One of them said it was the place to be in Brisbane when he was in high school in the early 2000s -hmm. and he got the gnocchi with the bolognese. Another said quality-wise it was about at Smorgie's level but below everything else like Macca's, Hungry Jack's, everything. Another friend said that it was the kind of place where you go when your parents want to go out for dinner but they know they have to take the kids with them. Mm. And then I was talking to my boyfriend Pat about it and he actually used to go there. I never knew that about him. And he remembers it clearly because one of his family friends who he used to go there with used to always take the shopper dockets along from the supermarket to get faster pasta cheaper. (laughs) So I've recorded a little interview from the source, someone who remembers going to faster pasta. What occasions would you go to faster pasta? Anything. It was in Ringwood. Um, uh, Birthdays. To meet up with friends, like as in family friends. Yeah. And I remember on a few occasions when we get the carpets cleaned, we'd go there for dinner because <laughs> you can't use the rest of the house. And so where does Faster Pasta rank in with McDonald's, Hungry Jack's, Pizza Hut and Smorgies? No, it doesn't even compare. <laughs> <laughs> Are you stupid? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so... Why would you go there when you have those other options? They were seen as the, like, this is Australian Parenting 101. That was the healthy option. (laughs) Go and have a big bowl of pasta, kids, and some garlic bread. So there you have it. Um, Some insight knowledge from Faster Pasta from someone who remembers more than just walking past it and never going in the door. Wow. Boots on the ground. Amazing. (laughs) Now, um, Emily, you have stated as fact, that your favourite pasta occasion is post-sporting team breakup. Um, no. <laughs> no, <I didn't. laughs> Oh, yeah. right. You, you <laughs> just completely didn't listen I wasn't, I wasn't listening to you at all. So, no. Um, what is your, what's your favourite pasta occasion? I know you've talked about your favourite pasta. pasta. Um, yeah. Probably. On a beach in Italy. 
Well, I liked it when my grandma used to make, um, she used to call it chook sketty when I was a kid, like uh-huh. big chicken drumsticks in like this tomato-y type sauce and the chicken kind of falls off the bone. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Mm. And you, so that'd be dinner with grandma. Yeah. Yeah. On a Sunday or something. Sunday dinner with grandma. Yeah. Mm. Well, I want to talk about pasta occasion because I had a slightly different pasta occasion today. Um, earlier this year, the internet went a little bit crazy. Well, the internet, particularly around the publication that you work for, Broadsheet, mm. reviewed a cafe in Brunswick, a new cafe called Small Axe, and one specific dish on their breakfast menu, breakfast pasta. Yum. I was quite taken by this concept because like I do, I do love pasta and I'd never eaten it for breakfast before other than... I mean, I've eaten lots of bolognese sauce on toast, but usually if the spaghetti's still in the fridge, I'm not going to go there for breakfast. So I, I wanted to try it out. So I also did some journalism, Emily, oh, and this cool. morning I went along to Small Axe mm-hmm. and this is me. I think I explained it in the clip anyway. Hi, so I'm pretending that I'm on the phone to share my impressions of the breakfast pasta. Uh, small X cafe. So we've got a oh, very runny egg, some bacon, peas. It cuts out there, but I'll come back into it. What I'm doing is um, I'm eating on my own at 7:30 this morning on my way to work. <laughs> I'm the only person in the cafe. Uh, and I'm talking into my phone and I'm trying to make it look like I'm having a conversation with somebody else while I review the dish. We'll just continue. So I've had a few bites. <laughs> a really good pancetta. A lemony kind of zing to the... almost a kind of broth. Uh, some micro herbs. It's really, it's really good. That was my review. Um, I think I'm uh, hopefully creating a new genre of restaurant reviews, reviewing it into your phone while you're eating the meal (laughs) on your own. Um, So I I was a little bit underwhelmed by my own review. So I thought what we might do instead is get one of the people behind Small Axe on the phone. So as I mentioned, the internet did go a little bit crazy earlier this year uh, for Small Axe Cafe in Brunswick and particularly their breakfast pasta. So I thought we'd jump on the phone with one of the owners of the cafe, Kirsty Tate, who along with uh, partner and chef Adam Pruckner are turning out Melbourne's most talked about breakfast. Kirsty, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. So talk us through the dish. What, what does it consist of? Basically, it's a, a macaroni pasta with guanciale, peas, mint, salted ricotta, and then a sneaky slow-cooked egg on top. And the guan, guanciale, that, that is like a, a pig cheek? or Yeah, it's a cured pork jowl, mm. the, official, the official term. It's pretty good. It's pretty delicious. Um, so what, what gave you the idea? Like, had, had you seen it anywhere else or was it something that you'd, you'd had overseas? Uh, no, it's something that sort of just made sense to us. 
we are pretty obsessed with brunch in Melbourne and pretty obsessed with pasta. And for me, I could eat it for three meals a day and Adam kind of felt the same. And so, yeah, we sort of talked about it and, and it's our version of, of um, you know, sort of bacon and eggs on toast, really. It's just, um, it's just adapted. Did it go through any iterations when you were sort of testing it? Oh, well, kind of. It's sort of, uh, you know, we've, we've added the peas and the mint to sort of give it a bit of a freshness. Otherwise, it could be quite a stodgy, heavy uh, breakfast. But, yeah, that, that, that freshness from, from the greens was sort of something that, that yeah, maybe changed later on. But it's definitely a big part of it now. Um, what made you think Melbourne was, was ready for, for breakfast pasta? Oh, Melbourne's ready for anything, I think. Everyone's pretty keen to try something new and it's it's still familiar, so it's not it's not you know, the flavours aren't really foreign, it's not something that people you know, people's palates weren't necessarily ready for. I just I guess most people hadn't thought about eating pasta for breakfast. What what about Italians? Do Italian people come in there and say, "Wait a minute, pasta for breakfast"? Because like all I ever ate in Italy was espresso for breakfast. Yeah, exactly, and and really sweet pastries yeah. and things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. marmalade not, croissant. It's, yeah, it's, we were blown away by how sweet everything was um, for breakfast when we travelled. That everyone was eating brioche and and you know sort of Nutella leaven bits and pieces, and yeah, we we were surprised by that. We haven't had anybody sort of say what is this you can't have breakfast for pasta but it does it does some true italians get a bit of a giggle out of it like, this isn't this isn't traditional this isn't how we do it <laughs> um now the, you, you you don't need to answer this if this is like um uh, sensitive commercial information but um how many how many bowls of breakfast pasta do, do you do you sort of get through on on a weekend uh I have I actually had a look a couple of weeks ago, and we were just talking about the first our first few weekends we sold out of breakfast pasta by about one o'clock, and we were having poor people that had come from the other side of Melbourne to try the breakfast pasta, and we were having to say I'm really sorry, but we've actually run out. We've grossly underestimated how popular it would be, and I started looking at how how many we were doing, and we were doing you know in a in a cup you know in a week probably about 150 to 200. Wow. Yeah, it was nuts. So Melbourne really, really is ready for breakfast pasta then? Yes, yes. Everyone shares my, my pasta sentiment. Why only eat it for one meal? <laughs> um, and just one final question. Um, what's next for breakfast pasta? Do you, th- do you think it'll evolve and, and you'll try different versions of it? Or do you think you've sort of hit on the on the right combination at the moment? We think that we would possibly upset people if we changed it too much at this point in time. Um, so it will not be going anywhere when we look at um, bringing in a new menu in the next few weeks. But, um, yeah, I, I'm sure it will evolve over time. The chefs, if for nothing, no, no other reason, the chefs would get sick of cooking the same thing constantly. So I, I dare say it will evolve, but I have no idea which direction. Well, Kirsty Tate, one of the owners of Small Axe Cafe in Melbourne, thank you so much for joining us and talking us through your internet-breaking dish, the breakfast pasta. <laughs> Pleasure. When you cook pasta, do you add salt to the water before you add the pasta? Yes. Interesting, because I don't, because I feel like if it's a taste thing, then I'll add it after when I can actually control the taste. Mm. But um, I wanted to find out why people do add salt to the water and whether you should for any particular reason. 
And I found this really great article on the ABC by Dr. Carl, not Kennedy. <laughs> and I've made that joke before on this podcast, you I think. <laughs> What's his last name? Krizilniski. Mm, okay. And he says the reason people add salt to pasta is because they think it increases the temperature which the water boils, therefore cooking the pasta quicker. And then Dr. Carl goes into the chemical makeup of water and he says, in pure water, the water molecules are all fairly organised. When you throw in some salt, its molecules can wander around almost at random. These extra molecules increase the disorder and this magically increases the temperature at which the water boils. So that makes sense theoretically, but in the real world, adding salt to the water is actually hardly worth it because Dr. Carl says if you add 20 grams of salt to five litres of water, instead of boiling at 100 degrees, it'll boil at 100.04 degrees. (laughs) Okay. So that's 0.04 of a degree, which is basically nothing. So in conclusion... (laughs) Adding salt to the water when you cook pasta is pointless and you should save your salt for when the pasta is cooked and you're wrong. But what about, <laughs> no, like, because I've, re- I've read that you should boil your pasta in seawater. And I think it was Ian Hewitson, uh, my favorite TV chef, uh, <laughs> Huey, that, that said, um, yeah, you should put enough salt in the water that it tastes like seawater. And that that actually the pasta kind of more subtly takes on that salt flavour. So you need less salt in your sauces then. You need to add less later. Well, thanks for the fact, Hijack. And I would not trust a man that wears lemon printed braces. Ouch. Okay, <laughs> well, maybe we can get Dr. Carl on this thing, but we're definitely not getting in, Ian Hewitson now. <laughs> no, we would. I would still really <laughs> totally like get to get him. I know we'll find him. He's always at the bar at Barney Allen's in St Kilda. So, um, yeah, uh, Huey, if you're listening from the bar at Barney Allen's, put down the red. It's an open invitation. Anytime, <laughs> any ingredient, just come on in. We'll show you are a genius. Okay. I feel like, for my last fact, I went to a lot of effort. I rode my bike to a cafe at 7.30 this morning. I ate a massive bowl of pasta. Then um, I rode my bike the rest of the way to work, which is like another like 10 Ks. And like I spent all morning just kind of being like, oh, (laughs) that's a weekend breakfast. That is a weekend hangover breakfast and maybe not a riding to work breakfast. And then I um, interviewed uh, one of the owners of the cafe. So I've gone to a lot of trouble for that fact. So for this fact, I am simply going to put this following clip into evidence and just walk away And I'm done. <laughs> that was it. I mean, I can talk about it if you want. Best jingle of all time. It's uh, a pretty good jingle. It's for a pasta restaurant in, in Melbourne. Are they national? They're probably national. La Pochetta. Um, it's a very Melbourne chain. Uh, often there's gangland shootings mm. <laughs> at or near them. Um, they uh, um, rhyme in that song, carbonara and lasagna. <laughs> this is the soul that... That the singer puts, I think, it, like, I have a feeling it's Tina Arena. 
moonlighting. It actually kind of sounds like Tia Arena, doesn't it? Did you look into that? (laughs) Yeah, well, weirdly enough, the clip is like not from... La Porchetta. It was it was kind of hard to find. It, so as it's soon from, as it's a La Porchetta ad, though, it's a La Porchetta ad from the 2000s, oh, early but early two thousand. La Porchetta fan uploaded it's it. It's just a fan. Yeah. Um. Actually, one of the nice um one of the nice comments on it is from the son of the guy that flips the pizza in the first five seconds. Uh, he says, "My dad's the one who throws up the pizza dough. Now he has his own restaurant, but it's a Persian restaurant." So there's there's people connected. Wow. And like there's a lot of fans. Somebody said, finally found it. Thank you for uploading. <laughs> Somebody else said, OMG, finally. I thought I'd never hear this again. It um, is a disproportionately good jingle compared to the restaurant. It is an amazing jingle. It is the best jingle of all time. And really, I did no more research, found out nothing, <laughs> just wanted to play it. It's going to be in your head for the rest of the day. I'm sorry. Do they have a mascot? Um, they've got a like a Roman, like a sort of, I guess it's Bacchus or something, some Roman god. I was Bacchus, the Greek one. Uh, yeah. Just cut this out. I don't know. I thought <laughs> okay. it was a pig with sunglasses on, but I think that's Hogstar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are we talking okay. about? Okay, so in summary, I exposed the sham of zucchini pasta. And I exposed the sham of Marco Polo. <laughs> um, I gave a real insight into what fast pasta is actually like. And I journalistically probed breakfast pasta. And then I got to the bottom of whether you should add salt to the water when you're cooking pasta. And I merely played the theme, the <laughs> jingle from La Pocchetta. I just want to play it again. Questionable. Um... <laughs> Let's just let's keep it running under the mm. outro. Um, sorry, it's too distracting. <laughs> uh, so you can vote for whose facts you like the best on our Instagram, which is Ingredipedia. Um, stop trying to get extra points by pumping the volume of the La Mocheta sound. <laughs> so, um, and then you can also give us a star or five on your uh, iTunes or podcast reviewing system. You can, and you can also suggest ingredients. Yeah, I reckon next week we should do a, next time we should do a um, listener suggested ingredient. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We, we are getting them, and if anybody's like, oh, I sent one through and nobody's done it, we, like, there's some really good ones. Um, uh, sourdough starter was an interesting one. That's going to take a lot of research. Truffle, I think, is a really nice yeah, one. That's, that's cool another one that's come through, so... Thank you to um, the guys that sent that. Uh, Julia, who sent that through. Thank you to uh, Yenna, who sent through um, a chai, Ooh. which I've only recently learned. Is a chai learnt. a thing? Yeah, well, I've, I've seen it. Is it a spice or something? No, it's a berry. Um, Ooh, a, a chai bowl. We do our research. They're all over social <laughs> media. Uh, and it's even in New Zealand, in Palmerston North. So thank you for, for Yenna. You don't Yenna. mean chia? No. A chai. chai. A chai. A-Z. Oh, no, that's not how you, that's not how you pronounce it. Is it a kai? It's acai or something. Acai. <laughs> something like that. Oh, I'm going to cut out this whole lot. <laughs> so don't no, worry leave about that it. in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so keep sending them through. We are getting them and we are, we'll, we'll get through them uh, in the coming weeks and months. Thank you so much for listening to Ingridopedia. Bye. Bye.